we, you know, we recognize that you're going to be potentially a good leader in the future. So here's some things you may want to learn, right? Here's some things you may need to educate. And so again, just making it a priority for that CISO and their leadership organization. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's William Klosowski. Former Chief Security Architect at Avertium, former Global Industry Lead at Avanade, and before that, Senior Director of Security Client Strategy for the Americas over at NTT. And for somebody lucky, Will is available and seeking his next opportunity. Snatch him up before your competitors do. And let me tell you a bit about Will. He and I crossed paths back when I was at a cybersecurity startup who was partnering with Avanade at the time, and we did a webinar together, Will and I. And I really flagged Will as one of the bright ones. And he's got such a strong services background and perspective. He's seen so many, many ways of doing the things we do. Uh, I know for me personally that the data services part of my career broadened my horizons greatly because you're touching so many clients who do things so many different ways. You, you get this breadth automatically by doing data services. And Will has done it much longer than I have. So, Will, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Yeah, thanks, Alan. I'm glad to be here and uh, good we could make this work again. It's always exciting to get a chat with you. I appreciate it, man. It's, and I'm looking forward to it as well here. So the topic you and I said we were going to do beforehand, we were talking about the tension between leadership and individual contributors uh, that can arise when when either side, frankly, sees the other as lacking an understanding of the quote unquote obvious fundamental precepts about about their cybersecurity world. So so what inspired you, Will, to bring this topic up? Yeah, it's um, I won't say it's a daily debate, but at least a couple times a month, you know, within our LinkedIn worlds. Uh, I end up um, having a conversation with somebody on either side, sort of saying, you know, the, the big indicator, you, you get a lot of individual contributors who, man, my CISO or my manager doesn't know anything. They're, they're not technical. They don't understand how all of this stuff works. And, um, you know, those they're not seeing the bigger picture because, you know, they don't realize at their level, that's their role is to, is to be the technical expert. Right. And, and that boss, that manager of yours has got to take into account so many other things that, you know, they can't be that technical. And so I think having both sides be able to understand that dynamic and, and sort of make an effort to to um, communicate that, I think I think it's really important. I like that. I like that because to me, it's a twofold problem, right? You've got individual contributors who lack the leadership perspective and, and the business perspective, and they don't get what the CISO is actually doing. Um, you know, you're an individual contributor working in the SOC, and you've got a manager who possibly reports to a director and possibly to a senior director, VPC. So all up and down that food chain, the higher you get up that food chain, the less technical you are, to your point, um, and the more businessy and the more these other concerns and, and you have. And I think a lot of the ICs don't get that. But then similarly, I would argue that I've worked for CISOs and managers and VPs and directors even who had this sort of um, bias, we'll call it, where it's like, okay, so Fred, the individual contributor who's working in the SOC, doesn't understand 
what I do and why I do it, doesn't understand the big picture, doesn't get that we're part of a business, doesn't get that we've got compromises and partnerships and all these things to make. And therefore, I, the leader, am going to sort of dismiss Fred as, oh, he doesn't get the basic, he doesn't get the obvious, and therefore he's just not worth investing in. He's one of the ones that doesn't get it and will never get it. And so I think it goes both directions that way, right? I think I think that the CISOs have their quote-unquote obvious things that they criticize the ICs for. Um so, so what is this leadership perspective that we're talking about? What's, what's, you know, deconstruct that for me. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's something uh, that I learned when I was in the Marine Corps called decentralized authority, uh, and it has a lot of different connotations and things about it. But at the heart of it, it's the fact that everybody knows the mission so that if somebody else cannot accomplish it, the, the group can continue to work towards that same goal. And in that scenario you just gave where, you know, the, the, the individual in the SOC who doesn't understand, you know, what's going on, what's the mission of the company, doesn't have that information disseminated down. It's just kind of, you know, going to work and being told, hey, do your job, right? Um, so I think a lot of that leadership perspective needs to be to, you know, let your, you know, and we it could, you know, this has to flow from the CISOs down to their line managers and everything else. But, you know, let everybody know, you know, what the mission is, what are, what are we all working towards? You know, why are we doing things? How does all this impact it? And, and I think understanding that from an from a contributor standpoint that's going to make them better leaders when they grow up uh, and then not just repeat the same thing that they've seen in the past done over and over right right now now this business perspective that we're talking about here where the CISO is way past the concerns of the individual uh, items scrolling by on the on the sim <laughs> you know he's not there doing what Fred does he's got this business perspective what what does that look like to you what is it that the CISO has and does that the individual contributor isn't aware of and should be should be sort of you know, enlightened about. Yeah, I, I actually thought I have a specific example of a CISO I worked with on this. Um, and and this really comes around uh, from it, this really highlights that technical issue. Right. So I, he had a CISO who, you know, they had a DLP product that um, uh, he wanted to get rid of because he was consuming another platform of services um, that was basically just more more efficient. Right. Um, so they've got these individual contributors who are like, well, the, the, you know, the tool we have does these three little things. And, you know, we, we like that and it, because this product is better versus that product. But from a CISO's point of view, he's got this platform that does a whole lot of other things that they're paying money for that integrates easier, doesn't require training, you know, because you know, isn't going to require special training or different upkeep. So that's something, you know, as an individual contributor and my job is data protection, I understand the technology better than else, but the CISO who's looking at the broader, you know, how are we managing data protection and governance and how are we tying that into our um, systems acquisitions processes or, or everything else in the business? Um, and not to mention, you know, choosing this one thing because it's better over this platform we're already paying for is an extra cost, right? So that means I can't, in this case, if, you know, by, by continuing to use that niche product, you know, they're, they're essentially something else they can't pay for in the long run, right? And so, again, as an individual contributor, I don't think you always see that picture and don't think of it that way. You're like, well, this is the best thing, so we should be using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. That's a great example, I think, because it's not even about necessarily – well, it is. You're, you're talking about systems uh, – acquiring systems processes and, and purchasing and all these other sorts of things. And so, so sometimes in your example, uh, a certain set of features may end up being less important than integration with the greater picture, right? Like that's that's the lesson of that story, and I think that's a great story. Um, 
you know, and further business perspective stuff too. The the example I've I've got that I always think of is, uh, and I see this on LinkedIn still as well. I've I've had this very conversation on LinkedIn within the last month. Somebody who's an individual contributor saying, but but we fix all the vulnerabilities. <laughs> and the CISO saying, nay, 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 my friend, we do not. We fix the vulnerabilities that are worth fixing from a business perspective, right? We go to the rest of the business and say, how concerned are you about this risk? Number one, you know, number two, what's it going to cost to fix that vulnerability? If, if the care about the risk is low and the cost is high, it ain't getting fixed. And that's a very fundamental just business 101 conversation that I think some of the ICs miss. But I also think it's one of those teaching and coaching moments for the leader to say, hey, guys, um, let me let me walk you through the big picture. I'm with you from a fundamental philosophical security perspective that we want to secure all the things. That's our ideal state. I get that. I agree with that. But then reality intervenes. And, you know, this is this is the same thing as in college when people would accuse, you know, bands of like, dude, he's sold out. You know, like, like <laughs> yeah, it's like, right. you know what I'm saying? It's that same mindset that, no, he didn't sell out. He's actually making smart decisions that are an impact to the business. The most important thing any individual contributor to me can can fathom when they, when they join a cybersecurity team team is cybersecurity is just one part of the business. And not only that, it's probably a small part. Like that's the single biggest lesson there for me. Yeah. I, uh, I have a, a, a coworker colleague I worked with at Avanade who coined a phrase I like to repeat and, and that is information security, cybersecurity, we're airbags and seatbelts. Um, we, as practitioners, we like to think that we are all very, exciting and cutting edge and you know soup you know uh secret squirrel services and doing all this really cool stuff but no at the end of the day you don't buy a car because of the seatbelts and airbags you expect it to be there you buy the car because of how fast it goes and how it handles right and i think a lot of practitioners kind of forget that sometimes i like that seatbelts and airbags that's what we are so what about what about the other obvious fundamentals that we we, we want to call it um that a CISO might harbor that they're missing is teachable moments um, themselves, right? Like this is this is the individual contributor looking at the CISO's obvious stuff and saying, I, I have something to teach you now. Right. I, I kind of go back to, um, you know, just being a good leader and recognizing that good ideas can come from anywhere. Um, so kind of going back to that, you know, you, you as a leader, it's not very inspiring to just tell your people to go to work every day and, you know, shut up and do your job. You know, if, if you're seeing... If you're having opportunities to communicate this information or tell them why you're making decisions, I think that's really where a lot of that opportunity comes from a leadership perspective to be able to impart that knowledge. And again, you're creating better future leaders by doing that, right? You may not be able to consult. You're, you're not going to consult with them on every single decision. That, that'd be ludicrous. But when you do make a decision, let them know why you made that decision and how it impacts things. Um, you know, let they need to understand that you as a leader, you know, if, if I'm a CISO, I've got to work with HR and finance and, you know, facilities and, and, all, and data privacy. I've got to work across all these people. You know, I've got to make all of these people happy while, you know, not spending any more money than I'm supposed to and then not keeping us secure, right? And, and understand that perspective and being able to kind of, again, I think you have to stack your, your other leaders to kind of carry that mantra down, right? You need to build a leadership organization that's going to do that and communicate that and take that opportunity to train. I like that. I like that. It's it's an investment and a training and, a, and an education of awareness. Now, here's where it gets tricky, though, because I've seen this problem, too. So the CISO is privy to the bigger picture. Uh, and sometimes the bigger picture is not a good picture. Sometimes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes the fact that we're not going to invest in, uh, we'll go back to Tim 
not see, not Tim and the SOC, Tim on the vulnerable management team. Tim is the one who says, let's get all this work done and let's get all these vulnerabilities patched. And, and that means we're going to have to buy this software and implement these services and upgrade from E3 to E5 or, you know, whatever kinds of various costs are associated with, with addressing all these vulnerabilities. And the CISO just got out of the meeting that, um, you know, we just had three bad quarters in a row. And we're about to have a headcount reduction and all purchasing is frozen and all these kinds of things. And so the CISO has to somehow impart in the team. Uh, we're not doing that right now. It's not a, 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 the wisest investment for the business to be making at this time. But, but getting that across without getting across the negativity of the situation, right? Like that's one of the art forms too, because I have, I have always been very transparent as a leader. And I have learned the hard way that some individual contributors do not want that full transparency. They don't want to know, you know, it's like, tell me no and give me a partial why. Don't give me the whole why. Right. And so that's that's one that I've learned the hard way, um, especially with development teams. I've learned uh, as you know, in a CTO capacity, developers really want to just put their head down, crank out their code, be in their bubble and do their thing. And the last thing they want to hear is the the jerking around, the pivoting, the, you know, you know, at a, at a startup, for example, where you juke a lot, right? Where, where the business may suddenly decide, you know what, we're going to go partner with X and we're going to go partner with Y. No, what? We're not going to partner with Y. We're going to actually create That's why it's agile. Feature. Yes. <laughs> and, and so the devs, you know, the devs don't want to hear about all that thrashing and don't want to hear about financial negativity and don't want to hear the negatives of the big business perspective, but they do want to hear the positives of the big business perspective. So, so that's where the, the, the be transparent and tell them the why because a, an art form because sometimes you have to give part of the why and be partly transparent um, just to know you're not going to un you know unseat them or derail them right right yeah and that's where your you know your individual management teams are going to be effective because you know as the CISO you may know you may have a beat on a couple of those ICs but you know that's why you have those managers to run those teams and they know what inform you know how to make how to motivate all those individuals perfectly again you know being a good manager and having fostering that. So that you can, you know, the ones who need that information, um, you know, in my experience, just like you said, the, the folks who just want to keep their head down and do their job aren't usually complaining about the CISO being non-technical, right? Because they don't care. They're just, they're, they're fine doing their tasks and executing things. The ones who are complaining are because they want to be in the room raising their hands. They want to contribute. And so those are the ones you kind of spend the time with. That's a fair point. That's a real fair point that those two tend to go hand in hand. Um, so what else can CISOs be doing for their ICs? If, if the IC is missing the big picture, so we've talked about at least being mostly transparent um, and giving most of the why or some of the why anyway. Um, you know, I'm thinking of other stuff that can be done to, to, to uplift and, and get folks elevated into that business perspective, that, that bigger picture thinking. I think it's good to, like you said, highlight the positives. And then as you go, you know, I think everybody – I think we're we're getting better as organizations today in having you know career progression plans and uh, being able to 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 give you know show people the light at the end of the tunnel and and how you're going to go through life and uh, the, your you know um, work life that is um, and so I think even putting some some of that um, knowledge and hey we you know we recognize that you're going to be potentially a good leader in the future so here's some things you may want to learn right here's some things you may need to educate and so again just making it a priority for that CISO and their leadership organization to feed that information to at least the, the individuals who you know want to have that track or care about that information right so I think 
um, that's probably the easiest way to do it. And like you said, the transparency is always, I'm the same way. I try to be as transparent as my NDAs will allow, right? <laughs> so, and, and that's kind of what happens too. Sometimes they don't have all the information, uh, and, and but that that is the way it is, right? All right. And now I'm thinking of what the IC themselves can be doing to invest in themselves and get this perspective. And the first thing I thought of, and I'll throw my first idea out there, you tell me if you've got any others, is go seek a mentor who's higher level but isn't part of your direct food chain, right? Like find a peer to your boss or a peer to your boss's boss, ideally, um, and and come to them and say, hey, I have this tension. I have this conflict. I, I'm trying to get my CISO to pick up the ball and do these things that I know need doing, and my CISO's dismissing these things and saying they don't need to be done, and Help me understand why. Like, like mentorship from outside of your food chain, I think, is super valuable for this kind of thing. What else What else do you know of? Let's pause right there for a quick word about Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all. Alan Alford here to tell you about Alan Alford Consulting. After being a CISO five times, I decided to launch my own cybersecurity consulting practice. My cybersecurity career has spanned companies ranging from five to 50,000 employees, with revenues ranging from $2 million on up to $10 billion. I have worked in the cybersecurity industry itself, telecommunications, manufacturing, education, legal, data services, defense contracting, and for a number of SaaS providers as well. What I can do for your organization is to help you better manage, measure, report on, and more importantly, execute on your cybersecurity program. I have helped clients employ cybersecurity frameworks, conduct maturity assessments, develop board reports, and even to draft comprehensive three-year plans with budget and headcount projection to meet compliance and maturity goals. I can help you with anything from an assessment to comprehensive execution. I also offer retainer packages. Find out more at allenalford.com. That's A-L-L-A-N-A-L-F-O-R-D.com. Yeah, that's a great one. I hadn't, I mean, I owe a lot of my success to a few mentors that were able to kind of, you know, spend that time with me and, and show me the ways, right? Um, I think, you know, the, another sort of self-reflection thing that I did and I think other ICs can do, you know, at that level is, um, you know, I, I had a master's degree in cybersecurity and I still recognized that, like, I needed to learn about the business. So I went out and I, I did that. I, I took a, an executive level like BA course, you know, so like a mini MBA class to learn about, you know, what finance is, you know, like you got to learn about EBITDA and, and all of that good stuff. Right. And what are, you know, what are, what are the different departments, you know, working with how's HR function, all of that stuff. Right. So I think, you know, if you're, if you're in, if you're that individual contributor who, who cares that decisions are being made, um, then you're saying, Hey, I, I want to, you know, they're looking up to that CISO role at some point or, or somewhere in that leadership chain, you know, because they're not just working heads down then they should make the effort to also educate themselves on how the business works. I like that. Yeah. I, you know, even local community college classes, uh, business accounting for dummies, business finance for dummies, uh, or well, they don't call it for dummies. They call it for non, non-business majors or something like that. But yeah, um, that kind of stuff is valuable too. And even just reading books, right? I'm, I'm reading a couple of books right now. One is on business finance and the other one is basically on business finance hacking. Like once you've mastered the basics, how to read the sheet and figure out what tricks they're pulling, how to pull your own tricks. Like it's a complete almost like forensic accounting kind of thing, but not really forensic. Like it's just, you know, laughingly forensic within the context of a business, but just the sorts of trickery people pull on departments to, to get budgets swayed certain ways and the sorts of tricks you can pull to get budgets swayed yeah. certain ways. Like it's a whole book on that too, which is kind of fun. And it's interesting because you need to understand the kind of, or, you know, go back to the beginning where you talk about understand the mission, um, you know, I've been in growth companies and the mission is to grow the company. 
and get really big so that somebody wants to buy it. And so everybody needs to be on board with that because, you know, we go financially, well, there, you know, then you have to look at, all right, when, when a company is getting bought, how is it evaluated? And we need to have our finances. To, so all of a sudden, Tom and, in, in, you know, vulnerability management is doing something a certain way and doesn't realize why his comp plan has been changed or how this is affecting things, right? Because, because he doesn't realize that what the company is trying to do is achieve X, right? And how he fits into that. So, right, right, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's valuable. And actually, you bring up M&A. M&A goes both directions. I've had cyber teams complain to the to, to, till they turned red in the face about why did we get brought in last minute for M and A? Well, always, <laughs> always. <laughs> um, in a good shop, in a lucky shop, in a lucky CISO situation, after the CISO has really sold themselves and demonstrated they can impact top and bottom line, I've I've been able to be as the CISO forward observer on M and A type stuff, where I'm able to go in and do an audit and do an analysis and understand where the guys are at you know, this, this company we're thinking about acquiring, I can come back and give you a definitive statement that they're going to need, uh, you know, whatever, I'm going to make up numbers now, a million and a half of work to get them up to par with our current cybersecurity posture as the parent company. And obviously I'm bringing in my architects and obviously I'm bringing in my managers and I'm bringing in folks to help me run that assessment and figure all that out. But then maybe we don't actually spend all that million and a half, or maybe, you know, there, there's a lot of outcomes that can happen because the real driver to do that exercise is to drive down the purchasing cost Price. of the M&A <laughs> target, right? So if I can come in and say it's going to cost a million and a half, that means we're now paying a million and a half less to acquire that company. And that means we may or may not automatically spend that million and a half on the actual cyber upkeep. That's a whole nother conversation because there's other business priorities around that M&A target. It may be that the HR systems need to get integrated first or, you know, the CRM or whatever it might be. There's a lot of priorities that come along. And again, I think teams don't necessarily understand. And it's that bigger picture of what does M&A look like? What is cyber's role in M&A if it has one? Thankfully, in, in most cases, in my experience, I have had one. But what if you don't at all? That's a whole nother story. And it's <laughs> not that. <laughs> yeah, and it's not completely unfair of the business to not give you that role. That's not completely unfair. I think that's a role that has to be earned. You have to demonstrate, hey, I think about top and bottom line, and I can add value here and get that message across and get that right to be a forward observer. Um, so that's another example. I think M&A both directions, right? Absolutely. Yeah, for so, sure. All right. So the, so the ICs are self-educating. They're they're taking classes. They're reading books. They're finding mentors. Um, and I'm thinking – Oh, go ahead. I was going to say that mentor part, I want to, you know, I mentioned I have a couple of those, you know, I was, I don't know, I won't say decades, but I was in the industry for a very long time before I realized that it's a business <laughs> and it's not my job. Right. You know what I mean? Like everybody is egocentric and that's not a, uh, I'm an arrogant person and the world revolves around me. We as people see the world through our own eyes. And so, you know, we come to work every day expecting that everybody knows kind of what we do and, you know, and they feel the same way we do. Sometimes they, they kind of don't, they don't, they don't separate that. And, you know, I, I was in IT a long time before I realized the business doesn't care about IT unless it's broken. Right. <laughs> so, and so having those mentors and having that understanding for me, you know, was like, was super important to be able to say, okay, I understand now how this all works. I need to, I need to make a change in how I sort of approach things if I want to go up anywhere in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally valid. What was the old joke a, a friend of mine used to say? Um, the CIO always gets the email or the phone call or the text message or probably all three at once when the server is down. 
but never do they get the email, the text message, and the phone call to say, hey, you know what? <laughs> Server's been up for 31 days. Great You're job. awesome. Thank you. Good job. Nobody pays any attention to uptime. They pay attention to downtime, right? And I think the yeah. analogy for us is true as well. If we're not getting hacked, we're invisible. If we are getting hacked, it's our fault, right? So, so we're either unloved or hated. <laughs> or know just oblivious. A, yeah, that's a super dark perspective. And I know, you know, obviously part of the CISO's job is to evangelize and get all that stuff across, right? The importance of what the team is doing, the value of the mission, that's on the leadership to do. But while the leadership is doing that, it's important for folks to recognize that the leader is, in fact, having to sell that. That's not something casually understood by the rest of the business. If your CISO is having to run around and do laps around the business and meet with all the VPs and the C-suite and whoever else, and sell the virtues of what their team is doing. Understand that you can help the CISO do that rather than just assume everybody already understands it. Like, don't be shocked when you find out the CISO is actually spending effort on this and figure out how you can help the CISO do it, right? Right. Yeah, I had a CISO tell me that the CISO stood for Chief Inside Selling Officer uh, one time. That his job was just to go around and sell everybody else and what he was doing at the company. So Yeah, yeah. Every CISO sells twice. Sell the problem and then sell the solution. Sell the problem, then sell the solution, right? Uh, marketing rarely has to sell the problem. HR rarely has to sell the problem, right? Every, the problems are understood and accepted in, in a lot of the older and more mature disciplines. Uh, sales, same thing. We know what the problems are. Um, so, all right, let's flip this whole thing around. And I'm thinking, um, you know, the bad boss who doesn't get it, right? We've talked about mentoring. We've talked about uh, self-education with business and finance and these kinds of things, but that actual fundamental attitude, I get what I do. I get the importance of what I do. I come to my boss and I tell my boss, we need to do X and Y, and my boss dismisses doing X and Y. My boss doesn't get it. There's, a, there's an attitude bridging that has to occur there. And we talked about how the CISO needs to educate, have transparency, you know, invest in their people, upscale their people, uplift their people, educate their people. You know, if somebody on your team isn't getting the obvious, you don't just dismiss them as that guy doesn't get the obvious and never will. You invest in them, right? So what can the IC be doing to invest in their leader? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to um, empathy and understanding, right? Uh, you know, the biggest thing that the individual contributors always say is, you know, my boss isn't technical or isn't smart enough, or he should know my job. She should be able to do my job. And, you know, understanding that, you know, becoming a manager and then going up means going to more meetings. You know, your job as a leader is to make sure your team has what it needs to get its job done. And so understanding that, yeah, you may have to explain how that widget works a couple times, right? Um, and, and, and because they have to, like you just said, interface with all of the other VPs and all of the other departments and sort through all this stuff. So kind of understanding, I think, and this happens everywhere, not just in our industry. I mean, you know, um, the food service industry, same thing, you know, you'll hear all the time about how, you know, managers can't, you know, do certain jobs and, and there, you know, not every manager is a good bartender, right. At a restaurant. Um, so it's, it's really about understanding, you know, what their role is for you and then helping them because, you know, me as a leader, my job is to make sure that my team has what they need to achieve the mission that I've communicated to them. I can listen to them. I'm going to be empathetic to what they're saying and what they want to do. And then I expect that same thing in return. If I ask you, you know, wait, what acronym was that again? What does that mean? Why do we say that? Why do we do that? And I ask, you know, a hundred dumb questions, 
Um, that's because I need to understand this so that I can go back and then explain that to HR, to CFO, to all the other decision makers so that I can get you what you need to get that job done. And so I think the contributors just need to sort of understand that role and, and, and know we're not, as leaders, we're not going to be the most technically sound. That's what you're there for. That's why you're there, right? You're there to push the buttons, not me, right? And that's not an insult. It's because that's your skill. You were hired to do that. I was hired to make sure that you can get it done, right? Yep. One of my mantras as a leader, any leader, I don't care if you're a frontline manager all the way up to CISO, is surround yourself and hire people who are better at what they do than you are. Period. That's your job. Find people that are Absolutely. better at what they do than you are and get the roadblocks out of their way so they can continue to be their best and do what they need to do. And that's it. So by definition, I'm not going to be as good at any of those things. Now, I grew up that way. I came through those ranks, so I understand the fundamentals. But sometimes I'll even tell uh, my team when I'm asking the dumb questions, I'll tell them this is practice for all of us because everyone outside of this room knows this material even less than I do. Like, I at least know the fundamentals. I understand when you say we got to get a, you know, a, a, a host-based intrusion detection. Okay, I know what HIDS is. I may not know how to tweak it. I may not know how to configure it. I may not know what this year's brand is. I may not know what this decade's brand is. But I know what it is and what it's for, and I understand and appreciate its value. As soon as I leave this room and go talk to the rest of the business, they don't even perceive the value. They don't even have those fundamentals that I have. So learning how to talk to the, the, the manager, the leader, the boss's boss, the boss's boss's boss, the CISO, whomever, learning how to do the for dummies explanations for them benefits everyone on the team because that's the explanation you're going to be given outside the team. And it's yeah, good if you can't practice. explain it. Yeah. If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it. Right. The old Richard Feynman Einstein quote. Um, and then, yeah, as leaders, we have to be able to do that, which means I need you as a contributor to, you know, give me five minutes so that I can understand it. Cause I have that foundation. And like, like you said, I, you know, I'm, I can't configure the, the IDS or the firewall, but I know how it works and why it does things. And so what's the problem. Okay. So if we do this, all right, and great. Now I can go explain that to layman's terms to marketing or product management or whatever, you know, to get it done. Right. Right. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Well, listen, Will, this has been a great conversation. Uh, you're on the market. Here's your chance. Pitch Will. <laughs> yeah, no, great. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you, Alan. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the obvious boring answer is, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, so clearly I can come in and run your security group or services, product company, pick a pillar. I've, I've done it in the past, right? Everything from pre-sales to MSS and consulting and all that stuff. And so it's all, it's all pretty easy. For me to get taken care of um, my value actually is because i've worked across all of those different areas so i sit really well kind of in between that product um, the delivery side the strategy and then the marketing side because i can translate across all four of those pillars uh, and yeah i'm just really looking for a company that's going to take advantage of all of that you know i'm happy to manage whatever silo needs to be taken care of but you know, I'd like to be working strategically with a company to, you know, help them grow and get bigger and better, whatever that is, whether it's, you know, security centric or, you know, broader in, in, in scope. I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm just excited. You know, it's cool. It's gonna be a good opportunity. It's gonna be a lot of fun. That sounds good, man. That sounds real good. Yeah. I like the pitch too. You've got that down. All right. Well, Will, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you listeners. I'll be good now.